Okay, good morning, everybody. Happy new week. I'm super excited and all matchy-matchy with this morning's <laughs> guest, Dr. Joe Lukens, over up in Townsville in Queensland this morning. Good morning, Dr. Joe. Good morning, Nat. Good morning, everyone on Facebook. Yeah, and it's wonderful to have you back uh, for this interview. I mean, we're wearing the T-shirt of your first book, The Elite, um, but today we're here to talk about your second book, Insights and Wisdom, and that book is in the grandstand. Show us that book. Um, it's a very similar, I guess, uh, look. There we go. There, there we go. Ah. <laughs> Very didn't quite get that right. Yeah, it looks really good, really good. So, yeah, beautiful. So we're here this morning to talk about mind games, successful parenting for sports and life. And I'm just as keen to listen to some of the tips because I'm about to have a teenager in my house in like a few months' time and I can already feel like he's a teenager. So <laughs> that's uh, crazy. So Dr. Joe and I met, um, how long ago is it? Two and a half years? Yeah, at least 2018, I want to say it was. Okay, so we're nearly nearing our three anniversary. I reckon it was mm. the end of the year. Because mm. and, and the October. Like a fair bridge rate. Yeah, so we've yeah. nearly known each other for three years. And I've caught up with her when I've been up on tours in Townsville since. But um, obviously, we haven't been able to see each other now, which hopefully won't be for too long as well, because I'd love to do another national tour and come and visit now the booming town of Townsville. <laughs> That's we are, we are booming. You are booming all the sports events. Everything's happening up there. All right, guys. So let me give you the official introduction of Dr. Joe, and then we'll just get stuck into the content. And by the way, please feel free to write um, comments or questions because here on my other side, I have got my other computer open so that I can monitor any comments and um, and questions you may have. So here we go. Dr. Joe Lucan spends her day inside the heads of individuals, teams, and organizations seeking to understand what makes them tick and assisting them to reach their potential. A psychological Indiana Jones, she describes it as a fully, uh, truly fascinating career that she's grateful for every single day. She has a PhD in psychology, over 30 years of experience, and a breadth of knowledge in the sport, organizational, and educational domains. She has been acknowledged as an expert in her field, being awarded an outstanding alumni by James Cook University for her achievements. Dr. Lukens is sought after as a presenter, interventionist, and, oh, that's a hard work to say, <laughs> and for her expertise in the media space. Her book, The Elite, was published in June 2019. So like, what was that, eight months after we met? And her second book, In the Grandstands, was published October 2020. So knowing that she has made a difference in lives of others is why uh, is the why of her work and the most satisfying element of her career. So those are some amazing accomplishments, Dr. Joe. Uh, congratulations. So let's start talking about, you know, well, you know, you're now like, you know, in this space of writing books and all that kind of stuff. So what was the trigger to move you into this space from what you were doing day to day? Yeah, it's been a great journey, Nat. And I think as many people recognise when you've been doing something for a while, you, you know, you, your career will um, sort of meander like a river, I think, in some ways through through different places. And I think around the time we met, I had hit a point in my career where I had done a lot of individual counselling work, yep. uh, many years of that. And my, my main focus of my work was in the area of sports psychology and particularly within elite sport but I've worked in other one of the beauties of being in a regional centre like I am is that you get to apply your knowledge in lots of different places so 
but I was at the point where I was I was ready to step out of the individual work and I kind of I I think I just needed the catalyst to do it which is um, I, I think I've said to you and I know I've said to Stu I still don't know how it was I came to be in your workshop back in in 2018 and I remember on the day thinking oh I don't know what this is all about and I don't know why I'm going but I'll go anyway and the next thing I knew I was signed up and coming to retreat so so the 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 book the elite my first book really provided me with an opportunity to rethink what I was doing uh, crystallize my message and then I get guess the other thing that you talk about is get my message out further you know people have read my book, talked about my messaging, followed up with me who I never would have met, you know, internationally and, and so forth. So that's really um, how that all came about. And then, and then it's, been a, it's been a great ride since then. Yeah, beautiful. And obviously the two books have a different focus. What's mm. the difference? I mean, you come from the psychological perspective. So do you want to tell us what the difference is and what each of them is about? Yeah, so the two books do, as you say, that they are a, um, a different market. So, so one of the things that you taught me that was really important is to write to a specific audience. I always remember you said at the end of your half day, what's your key message that you got from it? And you talked about, you know, so for me, psychology is a, is a broad highway, but what's my laneway in the highway? And so mine has always been about translating the lessons of elite performance and and you were kind enough to read my introduction out where I described myself as a psychological Indiana Jones and I do that for two reasons because I think um, I like to ask lots of curious questions and um, my my children are a little older than yours so mine are 18 and 14 and it bugs them no end when I refer to myself as Indiana Jones so they're, <laughs> they're convinced that I'm not so it's a little bit of stirring by me um, so the elite really tries what 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 the elite does is it takes the lessons from elite sport and applies them to anyone anywhere so I've really been surprised even though I wrote that book for a specific audience and a, a specific actually a specific person in mind um who's read it since you know it's used as a textbook in grade nine HPE by some schools I've had people say to me what they love about it is it's got nothing to do with sport which always amuses me when someone says that about it so so it's about those key lessons about what does elite performance look like and what can all of us do just yeah. to, to, to better ourselves so that's the elite and then in the grandstands came about because I have done a lot of work with teenage athletes I've worked a lot with families as well and yeah. what I find is that families are and particularly parents are really curious about how to sports parent well um, yeah. so that you know you might have anything from the high achieving young athlete who has aspirations of the Olympics which is topical at the moment with the Olympics only a couple of days away right through to the reluctant teen who doesn't want to do sport or they it's not their happy place but the parent perhaps values physical activity so it can be a whole range of things so that book and the title of it is a story in and of itself um, that Stu and I came up with is so the book is really designed to be I guess a companion for parents as if I'm sitting in the grandstands with them watching their child train or practice or play and um, what little tips and tricks I can offer them to help them navigate the world of teenage sport. Mm, Yeah because I've recently started going to my son's footy games here and there and I'm curious to hear you know you say um, that 70% of teenagers leave competitive sport by the age of 13. I, yes. I had no idea that it was so massive, that number. Yeah, it really seems around that 13, 14 year age group, it really seems to be an exit ramp, if you like, if we stick with the highway analogy, it seems to be an exit ramp for many kids. Now, sometimes that's because 
you know, they're old enough, they're getting close to getting part-time jobs and things like that. But interestingly, when you, when you look at the research as to why children step out of sport is what they most commonly say is that it stops being fun. And that's one of the, I've actually got a whole chapter in the book about fun for kids in sport. And I know for parents hearing that, they might go, well, that's obvious, but it's a little more complicated than you might think, because when you actually do the research with children and say, yeah, but what is fun for you in sport? Um, the, the most common response that children come back with is that it's not about that it's winning, which sometimes parents think that it is. Sometimes the focus of parents shifts to, well, it's about the win, it's about the outcome, it's about getting into the rep teams and all, the, all those sorts of things. But when you look at what do teenagers say is fun in sport, they say a variety of things, but, and, and the research came up with 15 key areas, and I talk about it in the book. But just to share the three key things that kids talk about in fun is they say it's about when and if it's a team team sport, or even if even if they're an individual athlete, but they're often mixing with other kids, it's about the positive dynamics of the culture that they're in. So if you're in a team and there's positive dynamics, that's the thing that makes it the most fun. The next thing is is if it's a it's if it's an area where if your child comes away and said I tried really hard, that's fun because I had a go. I you know did you see that thing, Mum, when I ran out and I got it on the sideline and I threw it in and. You know, so they talk about that. And, and the third thing that's fun for kids in sport is when the coaching experience is a positive one. So it's interesting, you know, you say, because well, if you ask your kids what's fun about sport, they kind of look at you as to why you'd ask such a silly question. And they, they find it hard to articulate it. But when it's been done in the research, it's not necessarily the things that we think. And I think so some parts of sports parenting is intuitive and most parents will just work it out for themselves. And then there's other bits that are just tricky. And so what I've aimed to do is to take what we know from the research, a little bit of a reflection on what I've found from my own personal experiences, and then to kind of put some options in front of parents that they can kind of pick out about what's going to be helpful for them because everyone's parenting style, of course, is so different. Mm, yeah, I, I can relate to what you're just saying because we only had a situation couple no last Sunday it was like not even 10 days ago and um they had a loss the team had a loss um but Juddy kind of won the best thing best on ground for whatever he did and he did lots of great things in that footy match and then their coach gives them these little um superhero toys as a little prize and all that kind of stuff and just all those little things that are added in um to the experience I think it didn't matter like he wasn't upset that they they lost and they had a good time and all that sort of stuff. So I can kind of relate that, you know, it's not just about the the winning. It, it would be about the community, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's about the community. And and the interesting point you mentioned about, you know, when they lose and, and I, you know, you know, if I go down and watch my kids play sport, I enjoy it when they win. So I'm not going to say that I don't. But the other thing that I think is important for all of us to reflect on is that life is not all about winning. So where you build resilience is when you fail, is when you lose, is when it doesn't go the way to plan, when you don't get picked in the rep side or you're not in the starting five or you don't make the semi-final or you, you know, I was a swimming parent for ages and there are so many rules in swimming and often your kids don't learn the rules and, and swimming's tough because if you don't put both hands on the wall as you turn for breaststroke, disqualified and they don't care if you're eight, you're just disqualified. So that, the, but the kids learn, you know, and they get disappointed and they might cry and you mop them up and you go, well, get back out there. So you know, what the other thing to think about is it's hard when we see our kids being disappointed or they lose or it doesn't go to plan. 
but they're building resilience and that's that's the really important thing in, in that particular area yeah I totally agree with you I think um they, they need to if they don't have any hard things happen in their life you know even right now with all the lockdowns I'm kind of thinking well you know we all becoming a lot more resilient right I've yeah we are support. and um that's going to be just something that is super helpful later on in life they will connect the dots <laughs> where... yeah that, that's right we can, we can draw on those experiences and go well I've been through tough times before whatever they might be it's, it's exactly right you can do it again yeah yeah it's building references for success and hard times you know yeah absolutely that's still and, and that, that's, okay <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And one of the nice things about sport is sport is just one of those endeavours that allows you to learn lots of life lessons. It's the same with, if you know, if someone was watching this and going, well, my child's not particularly into sport, but they're, maybe they're into the performing arts. Or, you know, and you and I have talked about this, that I, I probably need to rewrite this book for parents of kids who do music and drama and so forth, because the lessons are exactly the same. I just need to give different examples. So I've had music teachers read the book and go, well, I'm just drawing on the lessons and, and yeah. applying that in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. So what are some strategies that you can share, like maybe three hot strategies with parents, um, you know, on this journey through the teenage years? Yeah, so um, good luck to you, first of all. <laughs> well <laughs> done to any parent navigating this territory, you know. And I think one of, one of the things is, is people often say to me, am I doing it right? And the first thing I do is say, exhale, you're doing it the best you can and that's all you need. There's, like, there's no right or wrong with any of this particularly. There's a couple of points where I get really um, specific on and I do hold a very strong opinion on, which I might mention in a moment. But, but essentially some things that I think parents need to think about. First of all, that element of fun, because that's what, that's what is going to hook them and keep them into sport. And I think it's important also to recognise that what we're trying to do through sport for the majority of people that travel through it is build lifelong learning and love for physical activity. So it doesn't even have to be sport, but it needs to, we need to as a community be moving because we see what happens is with increased risk of obesity and so forth. So one of the first things I would challenge parents to do very gently, because I do it to myself as well, is to look in the mirror and think about, so if you're saying to your child that physical activity is important, is it important in your life? Is your child seeing you engage in physical activity? And maybe you might say to me that you don't have time, um, which I would challenge. But what I would say is, so maybe you, you take your child down to, as I do, basketball in the afternoons, um, basketball practice. So maybe that's an opportunity rather than sitting around and watching, maybe that's a chance to put your sand shoes on and go for a walk. You know, is, is, does your child think of you as, as physically active? Because you need that credibility with them to be able to to be able to say that of them. So I think that's a really important thing to do. I think it's important to focus on the fun element for your children. And what I would suggest that you do is to really think about what's the first thing your child sees as they step out of the pool, come off the track, come away from the training paddock or whatever it is that they're, you know, and, and I offer the suggestion that the first thing I think that they need to see is you smiling at them. You know, too many kids come off the sporting arena and maybe they didn't play that well and parents say to me, you know, can you see my child? They're so inconsistent. And I go, they're 14. Of course they're inconsistent. You know, you know I'm inconsistent and I'm not 14. You know, so 14-year-olds are inconsistent. But smile at them. And, and the, the key words I think that you can say to your child after they finish their sport is your equivalent of, I love to watch you play. 
you know, just to share that enjoyment with them. And then I think the third thing that I would say is as well is to is to really work on that communication with your child. Um, and probably I would I often use the I often say there's a good ratio to think about that we've got two ears and one mouth, and that's roughly the ratio to use it in. Do more listening than talking. Hear your child. You'll become the soft place to land, and then you can navigate through the sporting world and everything else that goes with it. Mm. Amazing tips. I think those are. So, such simple things, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and be present. They're not like kind of they're coming out of the ground and you're there on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> not, not engaged. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's a good point, Nat, because I've had that conversation with my children that say that so my son plays basketball practices twice a week. So there's two hours there that I could sit and watch him for the entire two hours and watch him practice, absolutely. Um, you're a bit like me. I've probably got some other things I could also be. So I've actually had a, a really overt conversation with my 14-year-old and said, here's how practice is going to go. When I come and you're practicing, for the first five minutes, I'm going to watch you practicing. For the last five minutes, I'm going to watch you practicing. And for that middle 50 minutes, I'm going to do some work because I need to get some things finished because then so that they know, because when they play their game, I'll watch the whole thing. But practice, yep. yeah. That's yeah. what I say to my 14-year-old. You, you don't get up at 4.30 and watch me run, so, so I'm going to do a little bit of work or I'm going to get on my foam roller and do some stretching while you're doing your thing or I'm going to go for a walk or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what I do. And being in Melbourne, we, uh, you know, you get, get there in the car, you park it in front where you can see stuff from inside the car. It's so freezing. Oh, and, yes. <laughs> and then you watch until they get out and then you go, you know, okay, I'm going to read a book or something that's, yeah, you know, yeah just to um you know not feel like I'm just sitting here you know doing nothing and then yeah once they come back in the car you can discuss what you know, yeah what has yeah happened. it's a great way to go and, and I think the, the key thing to it is you'll do whatever works for you because maybe that's maybe you don't get a lot of social contact and maybe that's your time to go and talk to other parents or you'll use your time however you use it but if you think that you need to talk to your child about it particularly yeah. particularly when they're older yeah, totally. And I think those trips in the car are also really important um, times with kids. I think often as they grow up a little bit older, that's when you can really get them one-on-one. -on -one. Um, yeah, that's right. And I do, I agree. I think that side-by-side -side conversation is very different to a face-to-face -face conversation. It's less, there's less pressure on a child when it's a side-by-side -side conversation. And I know because here in town, you mentioned that I'm here in Townsville. So pretty much my entire life is within, within within one set of traffic lights. So I don't have to drive too far. But there's been times with my boys when we've been having a conversation and I had driven the long way home because I thought this conversation is gold and I don't want it to end. So I've gone, oh, hang on, we'll just go and have a look at this. And and we keep talking because that, that those car conversations can be really helpful. So is it uh, too comfortable? You would say, and I, I agree with this, face-to-face uh, -face is a bit more confrontational, whereas yeah. is kind of friendlier. You're more, I think you're more self-aware in that face-to-face -face conversation. And sometimes it's, and the other thing is, sometimes it's easier to think when I'm not having to maintain eye contact with the person across from me and look at their reactions and gauge off it. So I, I would say, and I, I imagine there's plenty of parents hearing us who can recall meaningful conversations they've had with their child or with a friend or with a partner. You know, you might notice that if you go walking with a friend that, you know, those conversations are different to sitting face-to-face -face in the coffee shop sort of looking at each other so there's lots of different ways to have meaningful conversations that's true now that's mm -hmm. awesome so what are some other things that people will uh, learn in the grandstands um, in that particular book 
Yeah, so I've had a focus from a whole range of things. So I've talked about the other thing is, is the world of sports psychology is a little bit unknown to parents, but I find there's a lot of interest in it. So I've got a chapter within there where I basically explain all of the key skills that we teach in sports psychology. So not done with a name that you then read it and then go and apply it to your child, but just that you understand it so that you can be aware of some of the, I guess, the mental aspects of sport. And what I've done particularly in the book is um, I really thought when, when, I, when I came up with the title and came up with the concept is I wanted it to be something quick to read because parents do have plenty of demands on their time. So no section within the book is longer than three pages. Many of them are just one. So the idea is, is you could flip it open to anything and read it. I think there's about 97 or something. It's a, it's a funny number, which is why I didn't say, you know, 100 yeah. tips to blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um, it's, it's an odd number. Um, so so I focus on so what, what psychology is. I talk about gratitude. Oh, <laughs> talk about gratitude and particularly gratitude because we know uh, we see that a lot in schools, that the importance of gratitude and how that helps our well-being and our mental health. But what we also know is gratitude is a performance enhancer. So I talk about the role of gratitude. I challenge parents to look in the mirror. So there's a whole range of focus. And I also have a chapter there on um, working alongside your child's coach. And that's always a particular area. You know, what happens when your coach does something you don't like or what happens when your coach is asking something of the kids and you want to have a conversation, what do you do with that? And I, I kind of flipped that chapter a little bit and said, came from the angle, this is what your coach wishes you knew. And so it's kind of trying to step into the shoes of the coach and to share that. And the other thing that I did, which will probably be of interest, particularly to your authors who are listening in, is the very last chapter, I actually reached out to my community and said, parents, ask me your questions. What are the things you want to know? And then I gave them the option that if they did that, if they put a question to me, I would then personally answer it to them, like privately. Yeah. And then with their permission, I then um, took all the identifying stuff out of it. You know, if it, they said, you know, my 15-year-old basketballer, I made it a 16-year-old softball player or something like that. But I've included that whole chapter and that became a chapter in the back of the book too. So that's a really nice way to reach out to your community, get them looking at your book, but also really getting genuine questions that come straight from your audience as well. And, and I think that chapter works really nicely and that's at the back of the book. Yeah, you have been really amazing at um, uh, talking to that ideal reader directly. I know with yeah. book one, you sat down with that one person that you wrote the book to. Yes. It was so, so much easier and helpful rather than thinking about it really broadly. Yeah, absolutely. And what it was, where that was gold for me is every time I got stuck writing, I would think, imagine X is sitting in front of me, what would I tell them? And then, and then the words would just flow. And I did the same for book two. There's a, there's a, only this parent doesn't know that I picked them. Um, but there is a parent that I know who, who has talked to me a lot, just someone I know, it's not a client. Um, but again, it was like, well, what would I tell that parent? What would I, what would I hope that they know? And, and, with most of it, I, I hope that what I've done is, because it, it can be a sensitive topic to talk to anyone about their parenting style, you know, like <laughs> we can get a little bit defensive about that. So I've, I've tried really hard to be um, generous and, and take, like, because parenting is not always easy, as we all know, and we get it wrong. And I actually share that right at the start of the book. I actually share one of my far less... Um, 
I said, I was cringing even just even thinking about it. I'm not even going to say what it is. You'll have to read chapter one to find out what it was that I did with my child. But it, it did involve a swim coach and throwing a child in a pool. But anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, um, and it's funny. It's funny how many people who know me have come back to me about that story and said, oh, so you are human. I went, oh, I'm totally human. Um, so I think it's about being respectful and mindful of that. That My philosophy behind it is, is that most parents want to do the best they can to support their kids. And the reality is, is that sports parents don't always get a good reputation. And now you're about to head into the teenage sports world. You're going to see plenty of examples of that, of parents behaving badly on the sidelines. And truth be told, I don't think they're going to read my book. You know, I think they, I'd love them to. I think that they probably need to, but there's some parenting behaviour that is very poor and that that's an unlikely audience for me. So um yeah maybe I've got had a few coaches who said I've got some parents I want to give that to and I said well gift it gift it to the whole team if you want to um but whether they read that or whether they don't but so the audience I'm really talking to is those parents who just want a bit of support just want to know you know I've got this child who's doing well how do I support that I've got this child who's really striving and they think they're going to the Olympics and interestingly with the Olympics coming up I think the figures sit at your likelihood of going to the Olympics is one in 562,400 if you live in Australia and your likelihood of getting a gold medal is 0.0004%. So highly unlikely. And if you chose your parents well, because your genetics will influence a lot of it, well done. But interestingly, when you survey parents, parents of sort of that eight to 13 year age group, about 26% of parents think their child is going to derive their income from sport. Really? Wow. Yeah. So in the nicest possible way, that's not going to happen. You know, so, so I, I did have a, someone joke with me that my book probably should have been called Why Your Child is Not Going to the Olympics. Um, but, <laughs> but we didn't go down that path because it's just about, you know, most parents, what we want to do is we want to create people who, you know, if, if sport is something they enjoy, that they develop a love for sport, but more importantly, that they become physically active and it comes a point of connection for families. So I think that's where the real value and merit is for all of us. I think so. I think the physical, you know, benefits from it and if they can have that for life and then, yeah, connection and just something to, I know I love, um, I used to love footy a lot and then I had this period where I didn't follow it at all. And then with the boys, the last three years, three or four years, we've got back into it. But it is very much so about us connecting and having our own traditions and celebrations. And it's just something we can talk about. We all know about it. So I think connection and physical activity are the two best benefits. Um, The monetization from it, you know, might be a good outcome from it, depending if you're one of the lucky ones. Um, But, yeah, it's not the core one that you go for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And as I, as I say in the elite, it's a, t- it's a tough road to take the elite pathway. Mm. Well, I'll kind of also kind of think about, if we go back to talking about books and writing books and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's not just about like the book. It's about the other things that you're doing behind it. So tell, tell, tell me about those things. So you've written these two books and of course you sell them and you've done really well because you've been in a lot of uh, uh, trade in a lot of media uh, you know, radio, uh, magazines, bullet, local bulletins, double spread spreads, like you've done really hard work to position yourself. What are some of the other things that you, the books do for you? 
and yeah. what are you planning to do? I know you talked about an online course and that's almost ready to go live and all that. Yeah, yeah, so I have. So the, the book has, as you say, I remember you saying, you know, it, it, it's who you become after you write the book yeah. and the book becomes the, the connector with people. I've been fortunate in that, and as, as you said, I have worked pretty hard at it, is that it's a, rev, it's a genuine revenue stream for me. So it's done well so I can... You know, at the army, I was doing something the other day and I said, would you like some books with that? And they a bit like, would you like some fries with that? And they said, yes, thanks. We'll have a hundred copies. And I went, awesome. So I, you know, so I, I can connect it at that point, but I have um, been developing some other products as well. And it certainly, um, it certainly helps when you are, uh, you know, putting yourself out there to do other work. So I do have a, uh, an online course it's based on the elite it's just an an intro course to start with and then I'm going to build the bigger one um it, we finished it on Friday so we're just about to go and go live with that and and to promote that I had done another uh online course with another company um based on the chapter out of the elite called embrace the suck and that was a different model and I learned a lot from doing it that way so I've got that course but I've gone with a different platform now so but certainly as you say I probably actively feature in at least two to three media stories every week. Um, and I've worked hard at that because I find that that converts for me as well, uh, doing lots of sort of bigger end consulting work and, um, and, and, and yeah, just really enjoying what I've been doing and then now starting to think about the next book and, and, and where, where I might go with that. Beautiful. So did you use the same process from book one to book, book two? Uh, I used the same process, but I did it in a different modality. So obviously with you, I came along back in the days, pre-COVID, um, well pre-COVID, and I came to retreat with you. And so I did, I, I used your, um, your main key signature program. And that was absolute gold for me because it gave me the accountability because I had written the chapter structure for this book 10 years beforehand that I delivered as part of a keynote. And then it just sat there collecting I don't know if you collect dust on the computer, but anyway, it, was, it just sat there and did nothing. So, so pre-launching and so for those authors who are about to go first time and when you say pre-launch, pre-launch because it's the accountability that kicks you in the pants and gets, gets it done. Second book um, was just before the COVID lockdown in Australia last year. So we um, came, you know, I, I connected with you to, to redo that in early February last year. And then, of course, um, part of the opportunity for me with with a change due to the lockdown was that it gave me some time. So I wrote that book. Um, what it wasn't too far off the same sort of time frame. I didn't need to pre-launch. I um, and in fact the process happened so fast at the end that I pre-launched with a thousand copies sitting in my lounge room. So so I actually I'd actually completely written the book before I pre-launched, which I would not recommend for. Oh well. First time around, you you just probably won't get to that point. But for me, now that I know the system, and particularly the style of book that I write, I could I could punch that out pretty quickly. I smashed it out, as you would say, um, yeah. and and that happened well. That happened quickly. Amazing, amazing, and it, it is a little bit longer second time around if you're not like have all those timelines like and doing it with a group. I was talking about this with Francesca a couple of weeks ago who has written three and she did the first one retreat, second one we co-authored and the third one on her own. And the third one nearly took 18 months to come out because of that, you know, um, it, being on, on her own. And I know you're yeah. super disciplined and you you said certain things and I think you were part of some writers groups if I don't if I remember where people go and you just lock you just do stuff without talking to each other for two hours is that what it was yeah so that was a program that they run at the university I teach in the postdoctoral 
program and they run a writing group prime time Wednesday morning, nine till 12. And yeah. so you, you would, uh, you could jump on at quarter to nine, you do your morning. Hello everyone. You know, how are we going? What's your intention for this time? Yeah. And we'd all say what our intention was. And then we would all turn off every single device and we would log back on again at quarter to 12. And, and yeah. And if you think about what it is to, to, prioritize that activity at on a Wednesday morning from nine till 12, like that's prime time. Yeah. You, you have to honor yourself. You have to get it done. So, and, and then I was really pleased that then I went back at the end and went, look what I did. Cause they were all working on their PhD. So I just kind of yeah. jumped in, invited myself along, but, okay. but, but, but some sort of accountability I think works really yes. well. It's key. Yeah. And that's why in a retreat, we have the two hour writing blocks and everyone goes to what we call the quiet room now because the uh, retreats are virtual. And so they do their two hour block. They come back always 10 minutes before the next session. We debrief, we move into another you know, segment of it and so on. Beautiful. So where can people find you, your books? And it's wonderful to hear that there are genuine revenue stream for you, which yeah. is rare for a lot of authors. A lot of authors work on other ways to leverage you know, I mean, you're doing the same thing. You know, you, you're saying, I've got the online course, I'm doing consulting. Uh, you've got all of those other higher end products, but also I know that, I know you've had a few print runs with your books, which, which mm. is wonderful because your media stuff ends up referring people to them. So that's why they sell as well. Yeah, it does. It does. And, get, and jumping onto other people's podcasts, that's the other thing I find works really well. I, I get a lot of conversion from that. So in terms of where they can get it, they can get it anywhere. Um, so all the usual channels. What I do say to people, particularly at this time, and particularly I'm very mindful of the, the hurt that many small businesses are going through, what I would, I would normally say, go straight to my website, but maybe go to your local independent bookseller. You know, maybe, you know, give them a sale and, and, and that, would be, that would be a nice way to support your locals. But if not, you can find... Uh, both books on my website so if you know my name you can find me on any of my flavors of social media or, or so drjolukens.com and um, for anyone who's anyone who goes through my website if you do pop no stamps n-o-s-t-a-m-p-s no stamps into the discount code I'll um, I'll shout the postage nice one beautiful I love it so Dr. Joe Lukens d-r-j-o and then l-u-k-i-n-s dot dot com only.com, right? Only.com. And, um, and the um, discount code of the freight is no stamps all put together. So <laughs> I love that word. Good. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate coming you coming on another interview. Next time will be for book three. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, and, um, and I can't wait to, to hear what all of that's going to be. And good luck with the online course launch, everything that you have Thank done. You. I still watch from, from the grand, from the sidelines. What is <laughs> from the author grandstand um just <laughs> from the library and, yeah from the library yeah 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 right um beautiful thank you dr joe and um and go and get those books guys that I, I have read the elite um in the in the grandstands my next one to read because my teenager and all that footy and sports is is important that i support him in the right way i don't want to be that annoying mum <laughs> yelling from the sidelines which i don't you know i don't i don't say anything <laughs> I love it. Talk to you soon. Have a wonderful week ahead. Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.